You're listening to Sunday Worship at Weddington Methodist Church. Find more ways to worship, fellowship, serve, study, and be supported at WeddingtonChurch.org. I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to the New Testament book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we'll begin at verse 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1, we'll begin at verse 1, where we read, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith as precious as ours, through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be yours in abundance and the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything needed for life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Thus He has given us through these things His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may escape from the corruption that is in the world because of lust, and become participants of the divine nature. For this very reason, you must make every effort to support your faith with goodness, and goodness with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with endurance, and endurance with godliness, and godliness with mutual affection, and mutual affection with love. For if these things are yours and are increasing among you, they keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For anyone who lacks these things is short-sighted and blind and is forgetful of the cleansing of past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to confirm your call and election. For if you do this, you will never stumble. For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things, though you know them already and are established in the truth that has come to you. I think it is right, as long as I am in this body, to refresh your memory." since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for this privilege now of studying it together. And God, as I stand before these, your people, this is your church. So I pray that this would be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All Saints Day, November the 1st. All Saints Sunday is the Sunday following, the first Sunday of November. It's a time for us to pause and remember those who've impacted our lives, to remember those who've gone before us. John Wesley loved All Saints Day. As a matter of fact, in one of his journal notes, he wrote in November the 1st of 1767 that it's a festival I truly love. 
He wrote again on November the 1st of 1788, I always find this a comfortable day. And the next year, November 1st, 1789, he said, this is a day that I peculiarly love. I love All Saints Day and I love All Saints Sunday, that time to pause. And one of the reasons for that is to remember the names and to see the pictures again that we just shared together, those faces, to have stories and memories with these people. We shared life together. And to remember then intimate times that we had with the families as we were going through these sacred moments in their lives, these challenging at times, but sacred times together. It's a sacred time indeed. And it's also a great time for us to remember loved ones and family members and friends who have impacted our own lives throughout the years. Every time we have All Saints Sunday now, I I remember my father who died four years ago now, but I never met anyone I admired more. And you don't realize sometimes when you're growing up how special your father really is and the kind of person they are. But once you start seeing them through adult eyes, wow, you see the impact they made, the lives that were changed, the cycles that they were able to break, the things they went through in their own lives. You have to admire them. I always remember my grandmother. You've heard me tell many stories about my grandmother. I had the little short round country grandmother that always had on the apron. You know, the grandmother that we would call and let her know, we're going to ride our bicycles to your house. And the reason we did that was not to make sure she was going to be home or that it was okay because if my mother was home, grandma was home, grandma couldn't drive. The reason you did that is because you knew that that cast iron skillet would be put out and She would be fixing something, fried apple pies. We had an apple orchard behind our home and grandma always had those apple pies. She'd make them for us. And when we had arrived, we would sit there. We would sit out on her porch. I love sitting out on her porch with her. I have a little snuff can in my office sitting on the shelf because grandma dipped snuff. We were always envious. We wanted to do it too. And recently at a family reunion, we were laughing about how so many of us grandkids sat on grandma's porch. We had our own little snuff cans. Only ours was cocoa and sugar. We would put it in our lips and see how far we could spit too. Uh, It was, those were great memories. She had such an impact in my life. Nancy's grandmother, my wife's grandmother, was another one of those very special people. And oh, I dearly loved her. Nancy and I started dating in high school. So I knew her when I was very young and She would often fix lunches for us. And on my birthday, she always made me apple pies for my birthday. There were two of them. One for me and Nancy to eat with her. The other was for me then to take home as my gift. It was a precious time. And at our wedding, we have a beautiful picture of my little round grandmother, her little round grandmother, arm in arm, with this huge smile on both of their faces as they're having a great time on the day of our wedding. It sits on the shelf in our home. It's a precious picture. And All Saints Sunday, All Saints Day, we pause and remember and, and love them. I remember my uncle who did my wedding, did our wedding, and baptized both of our children. 
I remember Mae Clanton from my home church, a little tiny lady who was such a saint. And growing up in a little country church, the preacher would often call on somebody in the congregation to say the prayer. And when he would call on Miss Mae Clanton, I'll confess to you, I would always peek because it sounded like Jesus had to be standing right beside of her. She was one of the most spiritual people I ever met. She probably didn't know how much of a difference she made in my life. But when you pray and it sounds like Jesus is standing right beside you, that's a legacy. Smiley Funderburk, a great friend of mine that you've heard me share of before. Charlie Taylor, who was a member of the church we had when we were in King and Charlie was just incredible. He was the lay leader of the church. He was a police officer in the Winston-Salem Police Department. And, and Charlie just had all this faith. He loved the church dearly. And I'll never forget, he convinced that small country church to rent the Lawrence Joel Veterans Coliseum. That little country church rented the whole Coliseum to put on a concert to build the church and be involved in ministry and mission. Amazing kind of faith. Emerson Cathy, a member of one of my very first churches, who was an older carpenter, retired carpenter, builder, finished carpenter, who was willing to take a young pastor that had been assigned to his church, who was in seminary under his wing, and guide him and coach him and teach him even how to pray. So many people have shaped my life. I could keep going on and on. But who are the people that have shaped your life? And I really hope that on this day, on this All Saints Sunday, or whenever it is that you're now joining us for a time of worship, that you will take some time today to remember. Who are the people that have helped to shape you and to mold you? Who are the people that God blessed you with, that God placed in your life to make you who you are today? Take a walk and just share some memories. Sit down with some family members. Tell, tell your children, tell your grandchildren about these people who touched your lives and why. Share their faith, their legacy, their story. And then one of the things that always happens with this holy day is I remember those who shaped my life I listen, for example, to the Hall of Faith in Hebrews. And then I wonder, when somebody lights a candle and calls my name, and my picture goes on a screen, well, what impact have I made? Whose life have I touched? And what is the, what is the legacy that I might leave? How, how have I impacted my family and and what difference have I made? And not in the sense of, well, you provided an inheritance or this, that, or the other, but have I made a difference in their lives? Whose life? Paul's kind of reflecting here on his legacy. Uh, Peter, rather. You hear that Peter is actually preparing to die. He, he shares that God has already revealed to him that he is dying, and so he's now trying to make sure that he's passed on the faith and that he's passed on a legacy, not like a business and, and not his name or his reputation. What Peter wants to know is, have I passed on the legacy of faith? 
can't think of anything that's more important to share than his faith. Now notice that Peter here is writing to other Christians. As a matter of fact, he's writing to strong Christians. I mean, he shares that their faith is as precious as ours, or some of your versions may say a faith that's equal to ours, and that's because that's what the Greek word means. It's equal to, as precious as. And so in other words, Peter's not writing to somebody that goes, you really need to get this faith. He's writing to somebody that he believes already has it. To a church that's already established in faith, he has confidence in this church. He has confidence in these Christians. And he's encouraging them to remain faithful in their discipleship. He's reminding them to stay strong in their faith and in their morals, even when they're part of a culture in a world that has different morals, different values, other things that are going on. He's reminding them, you hold fast to what you already believe, what you already have. Stay true in your Christian walk. And then he reminds them, because the goal that you will end up with, the final revelation that you will experience is eternal life or final salvation. He even shared, remember, as I read that scripture, a list of virtues. It begins with faith, but ultimately it ends up in love. These are the virtues of a Christian. You already have those, he said, But you've got to keep working at it and have it so that you can share it and pass it to others. As I said, Peter knows that he's dying. So listen to what he said in verse 12. He said, I want to remind you of what you already know. I'm I'm going to remind you. Verse 13, I want to refresh your memory. Verse 15, and I want you, even after I die, to be able to recall these things. Did you notice how often he said, I want to remind you, I want to refresh your memory, I want you to be able to recall these things. He knows passing this faith and reminding them of a faith they already have is the legacy. And he shares his testimony, he shares, if you keep reading, of witnessing the majesty of Jesus Christ in the transfiguration. He shares, if you keep reading those verses, He shares that hearing God say, to hear the voice of God say at the transfiguration, this is my son, my beloved, with whom I am well pleased, changed his life. This is who we love. This is who we serve. This is our faith. And he goes, I'm going to keep reminding you of this. I'm going to keep refreshing your memory of this. And I want to keep going so that you will always be able to recall this, whether from my teachings or now from my letter to you that you can pull up and read anytime. Peter goes on to caution them. There are some false teachers You're going to have to stay diligent. You're going to have to pay attention. I mean, sometimes these teachers can lead you astray, he says, very slowly. You may not even realize that it's happening. You have to pay pay diligence. You You have to be disciplined. You have to be a disciple to hold on. But then he says, and this will lead to the goal of eternal life, which we 
celebrate with those who've gone before us. 2 Peter 1 verse 11 that we read says, For in this way, entry into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ will be richly provided for you. For those whom we love who've gone before us. Now, this is important to Peter. If you go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, you will hear Peter say these words, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By His great mercy, He's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ, Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, an unfading kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, Peter's reminding the inheritance that's really important is not the account. The inheritance is not the house or the houses or the business, or all those things. For Peter, the inheritance that's being kept for you, that's, that's the vital thing that he wants to make sure you have and that's passed down from generation to generation is the fullness of salvation. John Wesley referred to this as glorification. In, in his understanding of the order of salvation, he believed that glorification meant our being received finally into heaven. It's it's salvation finished. It's the restoration of the image of God that was deemed and, and perverted at the original sin. Glorification, he says, is that destination of our, our faith journey where pain and suffering are no more and where death itself has been overcome. It's no wonder then that his brother Charles, who wrote this amazing hymn called Love Divine, All Loves Excelling, that, that hymn kind of walks us through our faith. But verse 4 says, Then finish then thy new creation, pure and spotless let us be. Let us see thy great salvation, perfectly restored in thee, changed from glory into glory, Till in heaven we take our place, till we cast our crowns before thee, lost in wonder, love, and praise. Peter's talking about a legacy here, and I think about those loved ones that I've mentioned that have left a legacy for me, but then I wonder, what is the legacy I'm leading for others Maybe that's another question as you remember today, those who impacted your life. What is the legacy you're leaving for others? I think about my kids. I taught them how to walk. Nancy and I held their hands, taught them how to walk. Did we teach them how to walk with God? Now there's a question. We taught them to read. We sat down with them with the little books and taught them the words and how to read. Did we teach them to read and love the Word of God? We taught them how to catch a ball from the little tosses to being able to throw it. Did we teach them how to catch the faith? I'll leave a legacy, that's for sure. I will leave a legacy. 
but is it one that will make a difference? I give thanks to God for those who've made a difference in my life. And now the baton's in our hands and we have the opportunity to make a difference in the lives of others. So Peter looks at us, it's a great reminder, and he says again in verse 12, Therefore, I intend to keep on reminding you of these things. Though you know them already and are established in the truth that's come to you, I think it right as long as I'm in this body to refresh your memory. Since I know that my death will come soon, as indeed our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me, and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. That's a goal for my life. And that is a legacy.